Hello, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Transcend with M. And I am super excited to have Angel Gida Shagola here with us. She is an amazing individual. She owns a consulting group and she is a stepping up for Latinos, not just in the insurance industry, but other industries as well. Thank you, Angel, for being here today and for being willing to share your story. How's everything going? Oh, it's great. Thank you so much for asking me to be part of this. You know, um, it, it's always a blessing and I'm honored to be speaking yeah. with you today. That's amazing. That's amazing. So I know we haven't known each other for a long time. We basically just had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, but I am very, very happy that Elisa put us in touch um, because if you know Elisa, you know that you're a person with purpose, right? And I think it is amazing how this circle keeps growing and growing with people that have similar thinking and similar hopes and similar passions. So tell me a little bit, who is Angel? What is her upbringing? What is her story? So, um, you know, I think who I am has transitioned and elevated over time. Um, like it, it just has become this very love of growth and learning, um, mm -hmm. humble beginnings. Uh, my mother is 13 years, my senior, and she was a single mom, um, who, you know, at the age of 17 and I was three, um, she had to become a single mom. She fled from uh, an abusive relationship with my father, who was um, a few years older than her. And I always say that that was really my first realization of what options and risk and decision-making really was. I mean, even at the age of three, you don't really know, you know, what is going through somebody else's mind, but you know that you're, you know, you had to get up, you had to move and you start to recognize. And I think we see that in our children as well, um, that they are paying attention. They, they yeah. see when we are hurting, they see when we are happy. And so um, she was a single mom. And by the time I was about 13, um, she got very, very sick and she had brain tumors. So, you know, we grew up on welfare um, because she was unable to work. She had two brain surgeries. And by the time I was 13, I was helping care for her as well as helping care for my brother, who was six years younger than I was. And um quickly became also a caregiver for three of my cousin's children. Um, so by the time I graduated from high school, I had a lot of experience, um, really caring for other people, understanding empathy, understanding how to fit, fit or fill a need, um, even with a little bit of money, right? And my grandmother used to always say, if you have enough to feed three, you can feed four. If you have enough to feed four, you could feed five. So these are lessons that I have taken with me all throughout my life in really a recognition of one, um, everybody has something that they're going through, even when they're smiling, right? So recognizing that 
paying attention, really listening and being empathetic with people can create relationships that last forever. And even if they don't, if it's a one-time meeting, it's actually at least making that person feel like they've been heard, they've been seen and that they're appreciated. And I think sometimes we run through life um, really quickly and don't recognize that. And so many of us are floating around and feeling like we are not heard or we are not seen, right? So that's something that I try to do in my daily life. Um, and I became a teen mother myself. Um, I was divorced by the age of 21 with two children who were, you know, had some medical issues. Um, and that made things a little bit harder. They were, you know, severe asthmatic, underdeveloped lungs. And so by the age of 21, I was a single mom trying to raise two kids, began working full time. And I used to work at night so that they didn't know I was gone. Um, my mom would come over and stay at the house. I would leave after I, you know, read them books, put them to bed about eight o'clock. I would leave to work. I would work overnight in a warehouse, which I hated. <laughs> um, to be honest, it was hard work. Anybody who works in a warehouse, you know, lifting, okay. um, lots of, it's just, it's just physical. And I would get home around five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, sleep about an hour and a half and get up and get ready, take care of the kids for the rest of the day. You know, it was just, that's how I kind of functioned for a long time. Um, I then decided I was working with a trucking company doing payroll. And I did that for a few years, um, but I got laid off and I got laid off about a week before Christmas when I decided wow. I'm going to go back to school. Yeah. So I went back to school and got a career and here I am. Wow. You have to grow up before your time. Yes. And you have to become the mother before you even became a mother yourself. That's incredible. How, how, before we jump into what's your career today, how did that experience um, shape you um, to be able to take care of your own children. I mean, that's a lot before 21, right? And I assume your mom recovered because you mentioned she helped you with your kids, which is, which is great. Yes. Um, so how did that shape you on, on, on the resilience that you need to have uh, in order to keep pushing forward? I mean, you, you basically raised five children and helped your mom before the age of 20. Um, you know, it was, I watched my grandmother who, um, always worked. I mean, she worked two full-time jobs and a part-time job. And she, I always watched her just, you know, get up, go to work, do what she had to do, pay the bills, you know, do those things. And so I kind of took that worth work ethic that she had and implemented it in everything I did. So even going through school, um, I made sure, you know, that my grades were good. Um, you know, I tried to do extracurricular activities. Like I wanted to be a cheerleader. We couldn't afford that. 
So I typed up a letter <laughs> and walked to all of the local companies, especially the small Latino companies, and asked if they would sponsor me $25, $50, so that I could actually pay um, to buy my uniform and take part in that. And so, you know, all of that really created a, I think, entrepreneurship mindset, right? As well as, as a mindset of if there's a will, there's a way. And recognizing that, um, also kind of recognizing that money did not equate happiness because even though it was very hard, um, I remember, you know, my mom baking a 99 cent cake to feed us all, you know, dessert after having rice and beans or tacos. And that was a pure happiness, right? So um, it was just, I think, having love, recognizing that, you know, we could really create certain things out of nothing um, or out of very little. That was what molded how I thought about things. And it's something that I continue to work with. That is really commendable. So my hat, I don't have one, but my hat goes <laughs> off to you. Thank you. Um, because uh, similar to you, I never had children, but I was divorced by age 18. Um, so I, I recognize how, how hard it can be, but I will never imagine how is to, you know, have to raise two kids at that age because I didn't have that opportunity but it is incredible when i see young mothers a lot of the you know in our culture it's also very normal that us you know girls have kids before the age of 20 and mm -hmm. it's like a, a kid raising another kid right because we haven't really grow up yet <laughs> no i mean even at 21 but, you know yeah. i was a mother of two at 21 and I think, you know, I had the motherly instinct. So my kids always came yeah. first, but I look back and I think, wow, I, like, yeah, it's a mind blowing, right? That yeah. our minds don't even fully <laughs> finish developing until we're in our mid twenties. So yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. kind of crazy. But it makes us work harder. Right. And that's, I think why we, we probably, succeed more than others is because we we have that embedded into us right mm -hmm. we start cleaning when we're two years old <laughs> we were handed out the the maestro limpio and like the fabuloso very early <laughs> right and then you know we start cooking at age five so we we know all those things um and our cultures are like that right we're very embedded mm -hmm. into the family we have to take care of the family. Our cousins becomes our little, you know, nephews or nieces, even if they're cousins. So exactly, it is, yeah. it is that, you know, instinct of being a caretaker that is always there. Now, a few years later, now you find yourself in a position of what I believe is power. And I don't say that, um, you know, in any negative way, but I, I find yourself in a position of power, in a position of change, right? You have the power to change based on the work and the hard work that you have put out there and how you show up for the community. So tell me the story about how your journey has come to be 
uh, and why it's so important for you to do this specific work that you are um, doing right now and, and what is the work, right? Because we haven't mentioned it. So <laughs> the floor is yours. Okay. So, um, yes, I was, I was a single mom for a little over five years and, uh, before I got remarried and, um, I at that time had started going to school because when I got laid off and I thought, what am I going to do? And I said, you know, I've always, I had always wanted to go to college. I had done one semester in college right after high school um, when I was pregnant and I couldn't go back. So I decided to go back and I really thought I was going to be a teacher um, because I had spent so much time in the school with my kids. And, you know, I had at that time, one of the other things that was going on was, you know, this culture pressure of, you know, being thin, being all of these things going on. And so I don't remember, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but at that time there was the thin thin and there was like all of these over the counter medications that were being pushed for weight loss. And I remember, you know, going to a doctor being prescribed this and taking it. And I had a, I'm going to say mini stroke of sorts, um, that oh, my was, yeah. And it was all and based on, you know, this fact of trying to be, you know, thin and cute and yeah. fit into what this culture said. And when that happened, I was still in school and it was a kind of eye opening recognition to me that, geez, like any day can be the end of our days. Yeah, right. Okay, and so yeah. I transitioned in from liberal arts um, when I went to go get my bachelor's and I decided to go into studio arts um, because mm -hmm. I was actually using paint and drawing and photography as a way to rehabilitate myself um, after this mini stroke. And so I graduate from college and I need a job because by this time, both my kids are, you know, they're in elementary school and um, I get this opportunity to put in an application and get a job in a mailroom, which is about a week after I graduate. And I go into this mailroom, I begin to work and just do what I know how to do, which is take care of the people that are surrounding me be very hardworking and recognize how to fill their needs. And so mm -hmm. a year later I get promoted, I double my salary and I am sitting in a desk in an insurance company doing claims adjusting. And I remember thinking, mm -hmm. how did I end up here? Because I just right. got my degree <laughs> in art, right? So my goal was to work <laughs> at a museum someplace. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, when so you start funny. looking at, what they're paying, how hard it is to get into jobs like that versus what the insurance world pays. Um, it was for me a no brainer. I just thought, okay, I can make really good money. I can take care of my kids. I can, you know, do all of these things. Um, yeah. and I'll do art on a side. Right. <laughs> so about three years later, you know, my goal was always what's next. And so the minute they yeah. sat me on a desk, I said, what certifications do I need? 
And they're like, oh, take your, I was like, nope, what are the certifications that I should have? And so within the first year, I had gotten um, an SIP certification and a WCCA certification. And, you know, I just, I was trying to rock it out and do the best that I could do. And three years later, or four years later, I had an opportunity to be hired onto a company as a senior adjuster when I was their only California employee and they said, oh my God, we need an operations manager because we can't even do business in California unless we have somebody get certified as the operations manager. And so I said, okay, great. Can you buy me the book? <laughs> like, I'll get certified. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that was my first day. My first day was like, oh my God, this is what we need. I said, buy me the book. And yeah. so they bought me the book. I took the test like probably a week later, which I hadn't even read all the book, but they were wow. so amazing because they said, you know what, we're, it doesn't matter. We just want you to be able to go in, kind of see what they're asking, the questions they're asking and get a feel for it. So I did. And I, <laughs> I missed the certification by one question. And so I came home, I read the book. Two weeks later, I went in, I took the test again and I got certified. So now right. after, you know, four and a half, maybe four years after being in the mailroom as a mail clerk, I'm now an operations manager creating an yeah. entire program for this TPA um, that handled the whole state of California, all their clients. And I did that for about three years. And they said, you know, in order for you to continue to work your way up because you've kind of hit the ceiling with a bachelor's degree, you need to get a master's degree. And so I thought, yeah, right. I'm like, okay, now I got to go back to school. I have, you know, a child, actually two in high school and one in elementary at this time, because I had my third and I'm like, I'm working 50 hours a week running this program. But if I want to get promoted or move up, I also have to have this master's. So I got a master's in executive and corporate leadership in 14 months. And um, about three months after that, I recognized that, you know, a lot of times they really like companies, managers, anything. They love what you're doing. And so it becomes very hard to break out of or to show them that you can do more than what you've already done. And so yeah. I ended up transitioning over to risk management. So I became a risk manager for a global company that manufactured food. And a few years later, I was then the director of risk and I overseen US and Canada for them. So yeah, it, it transitioned within about seven years or so. I went from mail clerk through into risk management. And um, I started to mentor a number of women who wanted to move into different realms of insurance, into risk, move out of claims. And um, that is where the seed for beauty and beast in business came. It was really thinking, if I'm mentoring this large group of women, how do I provide the same information to another group of women, right? Or a group of people who want to learn to navigate their careers, to elevate themselves, continue their growth. Um, and a lot of people, not just in insurance, but 
business-wide, a lot of people, I think, hold information um, with the thought of, I don't really want to share or don't want to mentor because if I provide this information to you, now you're my competition, right? Now that means you know what I know. And so I think that's very hard. And for me, I've always had an opposite mindset. So that's really where this whole passion and mission of diversity and helping women and then helping Latinos um, and minorities came from. That's incredible. So what is, because there is such a big gap, right, of Latinos being in risk management or insurance or uh, any type of career associated with this industry. Um, But you are in a very vulnerable area, right, where there is a lot of Latinos, but now you are kind of like everywhere. So tell me (laughs) a little bit about the experience of, you know, getting your name up there and breaking the the barrier and also the skepticism around Uh, joining this industry because it is so hard to get people interested and i think more than just helping people you know leverage their experience and get to the next level the, the the most difficult part is get them interested so Tell me more about, about that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I talk a little bit about when I introduce myself or I ask people to introduce themselves to me, one of the first questions I ask is, how did you fall in? And people laugh all the time because they're like, oh, my God, you're right. I did fall in. Like, this wasn't on my plan. I didn't mean to be here. Something happened, right? So somebody introduced them to it. They put an application that they didn't really know you know, lots of different ways, but people end up in our industry. And when they do, it pays really well. So they normally stay. I say, if you stay two years, you're probably locked in here. The one beautiful thing about our industry is you can maneuver from claims to risk, to sales, to brokerage, to, you know, so there's so many opportunities that even if you're tired or you feel like, you know what, this this role really isn't for me. There's so many beautiful opportunities in our industry to do something else. So I think that is great. And what I started doing is when I started having and hosting events, um, we started to fill seats really quickly, 40 seats, 80 seats, 125 seats, 250 seats. And Part of what I do when hosting an event is I reach out to either people in our industry who have college students or no college students or neighbors' kids. I also reach out to local colleges and I say, look, I save three complimentary seats for college students who might be interested in having exposure to this industry, but also having exposure to what the business world can be. And so I am, I fill those seats. I ask those students um, or even, you know, newly graduated professionals to say, come bring at minimum 20 of your resumes. And we then I introduce them to professionals that are in our industry. They get to share their resumes. 
we have gotten a number of young people jobs within our industry um, in TPA, starting out as either a trainee or an adjuster. And so that's one of the biggest things that's giving exposure, right, to, to people who may not even know that this industry exists. And the other thing is elevating them into a position where they walk through a door with a large group of professionals, VPs, directors, managers who have open positions or have the opportunity to connect them to other people who can potentially hire them. So for me, it's a number of things of giving them the visibility, letting them know what the opportunities are, providing them connections, kind of like a sponsor does, right? They they do that. So these are things that one, we don't see in underserved communities, especially the Latino community. When I was in high school, I never had anybody who looked like me show up at a high school and say, this is something that you could potentially do. You can create a great career. You can make good money and, you know, not live paycheck to paycheck and take care of your family. And so still to this day, there are not many people who go into colleges or high schools and say, hey, here's an opportunity for you. So that to me is really important is to make sure that we are bringing up the next generation, that we're providing um, opportunities and letting them see that there are Latinos, there are Blacks, there are Asians, there are Indians, there are people of color. There are whites who came from underserved communities, right? Every type of group can come into this industry and have an ability to create an amazing career. It is really true. It is really true. And I think, you know, right now with what is expanding, people don't realize that there are so many different realms, right? There is a bucket for creativity. There is a bucket for business. There is a bucket for, you know, those that like numbers. There is a, like, there is a bucket for everything. IT, everything in this industry. And, you know, when, when people ask me, you know, how long you've been in the industry? Why are you in the industry? I always reply that since I started in, the, in this industry, not one day, in 18 years, it's been the same. Mm -hmm. I am always learning something new. I'm always learning something from someone else. There is always a new challenge that comes up. It is constantly changing. It is always challenging because, you know, new, new uh, courses come out, new strategies mm -hmm. come out. There is seven different things that you have to <laughs> now get accustomed to because the state yeah change the law or the politics got involved right so there is so much to it that you're never uh ending to learn what it is about or what is the reach that you can have in the lives that you can change because it runs from research to politics to everything you know like that's how i got involved i was on the medical field and I went to support some researchers at a research center that was completely focused on doing research for insurance policies. 
um, a center for ergonomics and development. Interesting. And okay. that was how I learned. I never thought I was going to be on the business side. I never so thought. That's how you gonna... tripped and fell in. <laughs> yeah, that's how I fell in, you know? So it is so impressive that all of us kind of, you know, develop our careers and what once we learn to love it it is you know this amazing journey and a roller coaster of things because you can go from here to here like you did right well like this from here to here <laughs> <laughs> or you can just decide to stay somewhere that you feel comfortable right so it is it is pretty amazing so tell me about you know, the purpose of beauty and beast in business and what is that we can expect from you for the next, you know, next year, what's coming up, how can people reach out to you and why they should? Okay, so beauty and beast. That's a lot business. of questions. Okay. <laughs> and um, I'm a, let me let me see how yeah, I can deliver this. <laughs> but yeah, beauty and beast in business. I created it actually. I started with just women in risk, but like I said, after our first event, um, the second event, they were bringing their sisters, their neighbors, their colleagues, and HR. And so I realized, okay, so you know, this is not just for one particular um, type of, of woman. And what I also was focusing on was not so much the detail of what they did in their job, because I think that is one of the biggest things that I see, whether it's education, whether it's conference, yes, they need um, continuing education credits, you know, so many per year, depending on what your license or certification is. But one of the biggest things I seen was, they were regurgitating over and over the same information. It didn't matter what conference you went to. It didn't matter, you know, as long as the topic was MSAs or it was slip and falls, this regurgitation of the same information was occurring, but it wasn't really, I think, supporting the attendees in a way that taught them that they could actually either one, navigate into other roles um, in that, you know, whether it was claims or, or risk or even navigate into different roles, right? So a lot of people thought, this is my job. This is all I'm going to do. I show up and I get these continuing education. For me, it was really important to bring in more of a career development, of a motivation, of an inspiration, right? So we bring in speakers and so we have both we have continuing education for professionals in the insurance and risk um and then the other portion that comes in which kind of breaks up the monotony is speakers who are presenting leadership skills they're presenting financial empowerment resources they are presenting team building they are telling their stories about things that they have done barriers that they've overcome experiences that they've had and they're weaving this story in a way that ends with actionable steps that our attendees can take to do the same thing right or do something similar and that's not something that i see a lot we have a lot of motivational speakers out there they tell their story and then you're like great but how the hell do i do that right so 
our goal is always to have our speakers end with, and if you'd like to, you know, do this, here's some action steps that you can take. So that's, that's one of the biggest things. I named Beauty and Beast in business. And the reason the, the name came about was one day I'm, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm recognizing, you know, all the names that I've been called, um, all the, not just me, but, you know, women in general. And, you know, you, you sometimes try to fit this box, whether you're in risk and claims in finance, doesn't matter. You try to fit whatever box that they have in that industry or whatever, you know, the culture says you're supposed to, to be. And that's great, but you get lost in that, right? You just become another pretty face that, you know, is not being invited to the table. And many times they also don't recognize your knowledge base. They don't understand your skill set because you are trying to not break the box or trying not to disrupt what you think you're supposed to be. Once you do and you start to transition and you start to become outspoken and you start to um, really show your leadership skills, you start to really recognize and disrupt that certain things are either unethical or, you know, they are occurring in a negative way where they shouldn't be. You start to speak out. You start to show your truth. You then become a beast to work with, right? People are like, oh, we don't want to work with that person because, you know, that she's always disrupting or she just, you know, too loud or too this or too that, too bossy. And oh, so it's all those things we've been right, for right. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why I thought, you know, we we can be the beauty or we can be the beast. But ultimately, we need to find the balance between both of them to really create a career that makes impact. And that doesn't mean that it's 50 50 because nothing is ever 50 50. Right. But it is having the knowledge base of what these two personalities within us have the skill sets to do and realize when a situation calls for 20% beauty and calls for 80% beast, because guess what? I have a client I'm working with. They have a legal issue. I need to make sure that, you know, this is taken care of and they need an ROI. So that needs more leadership skills more aggression, more whatever it is to take to get that done. Yeah. There's other times we walk in to a situation and we might need 80% beauty. And I don't mean physical outside beauty. I'm talking about the inner beauty, the kindness, the empathy, the understanding. Because sometimes we need more of that to listen to who we're working with so that we understand where their gaps are, the pitfalls that they need assistance with so that we can then support them and push them through that next step. So that's where Beauty and Beast came from. And we now service 
three target markets. We have women only events, which we have virtual online calls monthly for an hour. We bring in presenters to talk about, um, we talk about leadership. We've had HR come in and talk about how we can revamp and improve our resumes and our um, discussion skills, because now a lot of resumes are not being viewed by a person on HR, but they're going through a computer, right? That are checking for certain um, words, keywords. So right. how do right. we compete with that, right? So every month there's something else, something new going on that's gonna help teach. The second is our Latinx leaders. And right now we're in Southern California with Latinx leaders, but the goal is to start growing it nationwide. And our Latinx leaders came about when a group of professionals um, kept saying, I don't feel like there's, I feel like there's a lot of Latinos in our industry, but I don't feel like we ever make it to that director or that C-suite, right? We are always in the manager level and below. Um, we don't have the opportunities. We're not getting those doors open. And we're also feeling like we don't get to, to really experience our culture or show up truthfully in our culture and who we are because we're expected to fit in that box. And so Latinx leaders is a way for us to get together quarterly. We, you know, talk about history in the location that we're at, how we as Latinos are impacting the insurance industry in different roles, whether it's brokerage risk, you know, sales, how we can support our Latinx and Hispanic um, community members by sharing the services that we have that really can protect them in ways that, you know, protecting their homes, protecting their careers, um, and, and bringing it to them, not just in English, but maybe in Spanish, if they feel more comfortable and, and recognition in, you know, what is going on, signing those contracts, whatever. And then one of the biggest things I feel is we celebrate our music, our art, our, you know, the way that we've grown up, our culture, we share that with people who come. We're not saying you have to be Latino to come. No, we want all of our people and our allies to come because the goal is that we get to share our culture with you, our food, our music, who we are, the inspirations that we have so that you can see it. us in a different light. I love it. I love it. Inviting them in into embracing the culture. I love that. I yeah. Love and that. you know, everybody loves food, right? So I always say food and music. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> Food and music. If you can sit down and break yeah. bread with somebody and you yeah. can listen to music, I feel like it opens people's minds and it opens their hearts to having conversations that they may not be willing to have otherwise. And you have two universal languages there, right? Music and food. So exactly. Why, why wouldn't you? Why <laughs> wouldn't you have a good time? Like, I don't know. But exactly. I definitely love enjoying a good new new food. Like I went to Brazil recently and I it was an explosion, right? Like my maleta was full of like food of like <laughs> peppers and farofa and things that I can't find here because it was delicious, right? 
and now I have incorporated that at home. So I love it. I love that you have that concept of like food and music and inviting them in into not forcing the culture into it, but inviting them in into it. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and it's and it's supporting our professionals and saying, you know, right. it's okay to show up in business like who you really are, you know, and giving I think I think sometimes it's when people see another group doing it, it gives them permission to to start showing up like they are. Right. I know when I first started my, my career, you know, I didn't show my tattoos. I, I didn't color my hair. I didn't, you know, was always trying to fit into a specific, you know, role. And probably a little over five years ago is when I finally said, you know what, I, I need to show up exactly like who I am. And so now I tell people, if you meet me at the grocery store, if you meet me at the beach, or if you meet me in an executive boardroom, you're always going to meet the same angel. I'm very open. I'm very transparent. And my goal is that when you meet me, you feel again, you feel like I see you, I hear you, and we have a connection. Um, I doesn't mean that we always like what people think or do, but at least respecting that connection, I feel goes a very long way. Yeah, and respecting each other, right? Because we have to show up authentically. I'm still working through the trenches of getting there, right? I still don't. It's I still hard. don't show up hundred percent like myself yet. Uh, it's really hard in this industry, but you know we're getting there. We're getting yeah, there for you know, sure. I I tell people I get pushback all the time. And yeah. sometimes I sit down and I go, God, are you on the right road, Angel? Like, <laughs> you know, maybe if you just and, you know, yeah. uh, because people tell me that all the time, if you would just, you know, tone it down toe. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you laugh. You Your laugh is so loud, you know, or yeah. you come in and maybe you just and so it it does begin to seep into our mindset. But then I have right. to remember that ultimately that's not who I am. That's who I, I tried to pretend to be to make people comfortable. Right. Right. And so, yes, I tell people I laugh very loudly. I talk very loudly and animated with my hands, yeah. you know, um, but I love to share a meal I love to share a laugh. I love to yeah. share my life with other people and make them feel um, that they can trust me and share theirs, right? Yeah. And what I have found is even though I get pushback, I have been told that, you know, I'm I'm too much to be in a certain role or a position or a company. Um, <laughs> but what I found is that's only about a quarter or an eighth of the people. Yeah. All of the rest of them, they connect with me and they don't connect with all of me, but they're like, oh my God, Angel. Yeah. I was raised that way. I came from there. Yeah. You know, you're right. You know, I should be able to wear my pink Nike Cortezes with my suit when I go to the conference, if that's how I feel comfortable. Right. So the more I show up, honestly, the more I show up with who I am, the more I meet other people and the next time I see them, they're like, did you see my shoes? I'm not in the hills today. I got my Nikes on, right? We knew you I were going to be it. here speaking. So, you know, I ultimately I have to say that I take the pushback in hopes 
that I'm opening doors or opening minds for other people to show up to be themselves. I love it. I love it. And I think, Angel, that's enough to like close our, our, our podcast for today because everything that you have said is what makes us empowered, right? Like accepting just who we are, the way we are and showing up as we are. I, I know that some of us have a little bit more trouble with that than others, but it is just important to do it one step at a time, right? And, and just continue pushing to get where you want to be, who you want to be. And I think I that's the most important thing. I was not always loud. Yeah. So I always tell people, they're like, oh, it was easy for you. And I tell people, I was not always no. this loud and I was not always yeah. this open. It was those tiny yeah. steps that I took and yeah. I allowed myself you know, to, to embrace it until I, I tell people until my wings came out and I started to fly. Right. So that's one thing that if you are a person who feels like I'm not sure, take it a little step at a time. And two, one of the biggest things that I want you to take away from today is finding a community of people who make you feel welcomed, who see you for who you are, who embrace who you are and who cheer you on every step of the way, because those people are going to allow you to blossom, right? If you continue to be with people who are telling you to tone down, to fit the box, to whatever, that limits you. So you need to transition into a group of people who are going to celebrate who you are and lift you up. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you, Angel, for being here. Thank you for sharing your amazing story. I feel we have more in common than we thought. (laughs) I think so. I I cannot wait. Um, The call was like on Friday, right? Last Friday. The weekend just went way too fast. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember it was Thursday or Friday, but it was great. And um, I, I look forward to continue attending every month, which is really awesome. And I think, you know, the work that you and many others are doing is so important for all of our women, all of uh, those minorities overall, you know, those underprivileged people that don't have the exposure and those that don't know that this is an option, right? Mm-hmm. So thank you for continuing showing up. I cannot wait to learn more from you. I'm super excited. <laughs> you know, like a kid in the candy bar. I'm just like, <laughs> here, I'm going to take the Georgia Siwa song and I'm going to put it in here for me. Um, because it's really inspiring, right? And you, when you find people that inspires you, it's just amazing the things that you learn and how you motivate yourself to do better, right? And to continue doing that good work. Sometimes you need to hear, you know, somebody else so you can continue doing the work. So, so we lift, we lift yeah, each other, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. if anybody wants to get hold of me, um, I, you can find me on LinkedIn under my name, Angel Garachigoya. We also have a business page, Beauty and Beast in Business. And we have a website, beautyandbeastinbusiness.com. Um, you can get hold of me any of those ways. 
And I hope to hear from some of you. We have some events. We have some phone calls. We have two conferences coming up, one in Puerto Rico, which is going to be um, really a summit of people who are looking for impact in DEI. And that will be in June. And then we have a two day in Southern California, Carlsbad called Celebrating Cultures. So we will be bringing speakers and discussions and food from Latino, Asian, LGBTQ, Black, awesome. you name it. It's We're going to be there. And the goal is that we all show up with open hearts, open minds, and open arms so that we celebrate one another. Amazing. And with that, folks, this is it for today on the Transcend with M podcast. Again, thank you, Angel. You've been amazing. And I cannot wait for people out there to hear your story, which is just amazing not just uplifting but overall encouraging so thank, thank you, you so much me. have an amazing night thank you bye-bye